Hello and welcome to Marketing in the Raw. That's the podcast. I am the host, Adam Hoey. It is my goal to expand how you define the practice of marketing and your vision of where it's headed, especially in a digitally connected world. Look, SEO and the way search engines like Google work has evolved in big ways over the years. One of the biggest changes has been the richness of the results found directly in the search results page itself. Very rarely are you presented with a stack of blue links anymore. Featured snippets, knowledge panels, and videos are just a few of the additional elements you'll run into before clicking through. On the flip side, businesses that often spend a lot of time trying to rank well for keywords related to what they sell often overlook the opportunity to rank for who they are. But you might be missing more than you think by not paying more attention to your branded search results. That's why you need to listen to this episode. He's been described as a digital marketer, musician, and cartoon blue dog. You might call Jason Bernard a triple threat, but after you listen to this interview, you're going to know him as Jason, the brand SERP guy. Jason shares his insights from tracking over 75,000 branded search results pages. He reveals the impact poor branded search results might be having on how potential customers perceive you. And we talk about the elements that make up a good branded SERP. Get ready to look at your branded search results like never before with my guest, Jason Barnard. Jason, uh, sir, so remind me how to say your last name so I say it correctly, because I think it's pretty straightforward, but you know, there might be some beautiful flourish on there that you throw on or, or something like that, but is it just Bar Barnard? Yeah, I wish there were a flourish, but there isn't, it's Barnard. Uh, and, and the thing about names is, I have a podcast and I say people's names wrong all the time. And I think, and I hope that uh, not being offended by the fact that somebody can't say your name is a good human uh, approach. Yeah. And yeah. who knows? I had a, uh, um, I mean, Gary Ilyas, is it Ilyash? Ilyas? Ilyas? Elias? I'm really, exactly. And apparently, uh, he he is quite sensitive about that. And uh, may, maybe he could take a step back and say, actually, it doesn't really matter as long as people are interested in what I've got to say, and who I am. Well, this is coming from the guy that we're that, that talks about brand related stuff here, right? So Brilliant. sometimes consistency in the names matters a lot. And, um, you know, part oh, of the reason... So yeah. you just got me there because so I'm wrong actually, which is amazingly we're, we're one minute in and I've already messed up. Brilliant. I'm an awesome host. I just find ways of making the people, uh, the guests wrong, especially as quick as possible. We just we broke the record here. But you're right, and I hadn't thought about that. Is in branding, hearing and seeing the same thing over and over and over and again is what branding is all about. Yes. Uh, so. Two minutes in, I'm I'm saying, yeah, I, I'm going to have to rethink that. And thank you very much. Well, and 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 I think that that gave us a really good opportunity to talk about something that I didn't initially think about bringing up, which is um, if we're going to be talking about branded SERP and SERPs and, and branded search, which sounds at the surface um, maybe not as tantalizing to some folks, uh, yeah. I, I think, but let's talk about like, we, we got to get into what a brand really is to just, just a tip of the iceberg of that, because I, at least for me, Jason, I run into it more often than not that, um, 
the word brand is being applied to a bunch of fonts and and, and logos and colors. And right. uh, I, I I anticipate by the response that you just had with that at the at the top of the 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 show here that that's not your definition of a of a brand. It's not mine either, by the way. But yeah. No, well, in fact, I'm coming at from a coming at it. Sorry, from a very knowledge graph point of view, a brand is an entity. It's a thing we can identify. Um, so we can identify it, and and this is actually really interesting because I hadn't thought of it this way before. You've just mentioned that through the font, through the colours, through the way we say it. But the fact is, a brand is an identifiable entity, an identifiable thing. Uh, so you, me, Gary Avius, Google, Alphabet Incorporated, Facebook Incorporated, they're all entities that we can identify. And there is, I think, enormous ambiguity that we don't realize. Um, there are 300 Jason Barnards in the world. Which one do I mean? Uh, Alphabet Incorporated is not the same thing as Alphabet. Alphabet is very ambiguous. Alphabet Incorporated in the US is very specific. Uh, and Facebook is a great example because you have Facebook Incorporated and Facebook. Facebook Incorporated is a company. That's an entity. Facebook is a platform. That's an entity. It's actually a creative work, very strangely. So you end up with this situation, I think, as human being, beings, sorry, we forget that Every time we say something like Facebook, Google, um, Adam Helwe, I can't say your name, I'm terrible. Yeah, hey, you did better than most people did. It's al almost, almost, but Hel Helwe, Helwe is just, it's a Lebanese last name. So uh, oh, it wow. doesn't okay. sound as good as it, it, as it means in, in Arabic, but. Uh... <laughs> it, 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 well, the thing is, I, I wouldn't know how to say it. And you were much, much kinder to me about my name, which is very simple, than I was about yours. I just waded in there and said it wrong. Um, but come, to come back to the topic is those entities that we talk about, because the human has an imagination and we can make that leap, we understand what we're talking about. And if we talk about digital marketing and machines, Google, Facebook, Microsoft, Apple, IBM, trying to understand the world in a manner that is very similar to human beings, they have enormous problems with ambiguity. And that, that is the single biggest problem these machines have today. And so what you're talking about now is the leap from how we perceive a brand to ultimately being able to properly have some level of control um, after we understand why we need to have that level of control in order to um, get the right results out of these these search engines in, in this particular case that we're talking uh, about um, so that they understand who we are as a brand and how to provide a united front, so to speak. Oh, that's a, yeah, that's a really brilliant way of putting it. It's, it's given me kind of goosebumps on my arms because uh, as human beings, we perceive a brand emotionally. We look at the brand and we go, okay, this is how I feel about that brand. But Google and Microsoft and Facebook and Apple, and I think we forget these other machines exist and they need to understand. They need to understand functionally and factually, what is this brand? What is the entity? How can I identify it? Because if I can't understand that, I cannot represent it. Whereas as human beings, we're saying, this is my representation Sorry, in my little brain. The entity itself is secondary. So we're approaching it from completely opposite directions. 
which is there, phenomenally good insight that I've never had before. Well, and somebody who is who is um, has their foot in 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 search. Uh, would you say that uh, this is sort of, again, this is, these are, you and I are having these really interesting things that are sparking in, co in the conversation that are outside of, of the initial mm. questions that I had thought about asking, but, um, search has continued to move in the direction of trying to behave more human-like in a, mm. in a lot of ways and how it uh, indexes content, uh, how it surfaces content, the content that it shows in search results pages versus um, just the good old uh, search results themselves, like the knowledge graph elements or the position zero elements and those sorts of things. Mm. Um, so do you envision a world where um, along that same lines, the elements that we're gonna talk about today may start to behave even more and more like um, a human perceives the brand elements to be? If that yeah, even makes sense that. as a question. <laughs> it does, it, 100%. And I love the way you phrased it. I love the way you've approached it. Because we, we've gone from search, which is Google saying, I've tried to understand the world through the number of words in a page and the number of links. And I've ranked them as the 10 best suggestions. And you choose which one you want. Yeah. To a world where Google's saying, I think I have the answer. Because I've understood what you're looking for. And I've understood what the potential, I mean, we need to remember as users, when we search on Google, we're asking a question or, or making Google aware of a problem and asking it for a solution. And it's now saying, I think I have the best solution, which is position zero, for example. Um, and so it's increasingly saying, this is my recommendation. So we're now asking Google to recommend our answers to mm. its users. And interestingly enough, we forget that it's our audience, but our audience is simply a subset of Google's users. So we have to make sure that Google understands who we are, what we do, uh, what we offer, and who we offer it to, so that it can say this is a pertinent, helpful answer or solution to this person. And if we don't approach it, approach it that way, and, and I say empathy for the devil, it's having empathy and sympathy for Google and saying, what are your problems? It's problems are understanding who you are, what you do, what you offer, and to whom. It's credibility. Are you more or less credible than your competitors? And deliverability, can you deliver the solution? And it's as simple as that. It really is very simple. And if Google can fill those three and say, yes, I understand, yes, it's credible, yes, it's deliverable, then it can give you as the best solution to its users or the subset of its users that is your audience and that's your aim. And then you ask the question, and I love that idea, is saying it's actually now going further with things like Google Discover. And that's where the knowledge graph topic layers, does it understand what your topic is, what your core topic is, what those related topics are because it's now saying i'm going to recommend things to my users before they even knew they knew it they wanted it sorry in which case we're saying google if it understands who we are what we offer and who our audience is it can start pushing our offers through discover and we've got a big jump on the competition so google's gone from sorry just to conclude yeah, yeah. from search to answer to assistive push engine saying i will provide the solution to your problem before you even knew you had the problem 
let's peel this back a little bit. I, I love that. Um, let's make sure we set the stage a little bit more. We, we mentioned the term brand brand search or branded search. Um, let's let's just at least define what is branded search and how is it different or similar to any other search results that we might be looking to uh, uh, claim in our SEO activities as a company. Right, yeah, um, you're a great host because you've, I, I was getting a bit overexcited and going off on a on a on a different tangent. But um, I think there are three levels to the SEO that we're doing, the terms that we're aiming for. You have these generic terms, which is whatever everyone obsesses about. It's saying I want to rank for blue shoes. I want to rank for even blue shoes in Portland or cheap blue shoes, whatever it might be. But that's very generic. Then you have branded terms, which are uh, Adidas blue shoes, which would be my brand associated with a product, at which point Google is obviously going to tend to rank me better, which is great. And then we have exact match brand, which is what I'm obsessed by, which is something else entirely. It's a subset of the branded terms like Adidas blue shoes. It's simply Adidas. It's exact match. It's saying, what does Google show when you search my exact match brand name or my personal exact name? And what's interesting there is it initially we all think, I think we all think, and I thought this, that isn't very interesting. It isn't very important. But in fact, it's the fundamental building block on which everything else is built. Because if Google can understand who you are, what you do, and who your audience is, it can present your brand on a SERP that is your exact match brand name, i.e. it can show to your audience who are searching your name exactly who you are, what you do, and who your audience is. And until it can do that, how can it hope to understand where you're going to be appropriate in the wider SEO world? if it hasn't understood who you are, what you offer, and who your audience is within your own brand. You say that SERPs are your new business card. Can you expand upon that? Right, yeah. The brand SERP is your new business card. I mean, I, I actually, the whole thing started from a very personal experience, which is, I think, often the case, um, is that I used to, well, I've always, we all go and pitch to potential clients. And I would go in and I would pitch, and I, I, I'm terribly voluble and terribly enthusiastic. And, and, and I tend to convince people face to face. And yet I only converted, let's say 50% of the time. And what would happen is I would walk out of the office, they would all be going, yeah, he's great, he's great. And then they would look my name up on Google, Jason Barnard. And it would show punk music. It would show a blue dog and a yellow koala cartoon which is my past lives. I used to be a punk musician. I used to be a blue dog in a cartoon. And they would say, he's not serious. He's not what he says he is. He's a stupid blue dog in a kid's cartoon. And I lost the sales an awful lot of the time. And then I thought, okay, what can I do to change that situation? So what I did is started to optimize all the things to do with digital marketing. So if you look up my name now on Google, Jason Barnard, you will see that on the right, you have the knowledge panel, which shows the blue dog, the yellow koala, the punk folk group that I used to play in. And on the left-hand side, you will see just digital marketing. 
So it became my business card because what happens when I, well, I think when we all walk out of the room or we sent an email or we've communicated with somebody on Twitter or on LinkedIn or on Facebook and we've done the big sell, we've made all that effort to convince somebody that we are a credible solution for them. What do they do? They look us up on Google and we trust Google. And if Google shows me to be a blue dog, I look ridiculous. If Google shows bad reviews, I look incompetent. If Google shows a bad article, it's showing something, an aspect about myself or my company that is not reflecting well, and I will lose the sale. I mean, the, the, the quick story there is once I did that, my conversion rate, I mean, I don't have exact figures because obviously I'm one person and this is a very small example, sure. went from 50% to 80%. But the most important thing for me Nobody ever discusses my pricing anymore. I never negotiate how much I charge. That's really interesting as well in thinking about what you're really talking about is, is making sure that you have a presence in one that's primarily that one that's accurate, especially for what it is yes. that you, 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 you want to drive, you want to bring attention to. Um, in addition to that, all the other Jason Barnards that are out there, depending on whatever any of those folks are doing also there's um there is a um a share of those results um especially on on that on that first page that you may or may not be be sharing with those folks uh depending on what it is that they're doing and if and and so there's some competition there as well uh, even around the branded elements right yeah well I mean, for a personal mind you've got multiple levels one yep. of which is how how unique your name is another of which is how much online presence you have another of which is how well does google understand the user engagement with that content and the, the next one is the probability that somebody is searching for you and not somebody else and that's dawn anderson who's an absolute genius who pointed out the probabilistic element of it is incredibly important in those ambiguous cases but with a brand, which a company, because of trademark copywriting laws in individual countries, they will tend to be unique within a geolocation. And Google and, is taking into account who's searching uh, the elements of other elements of it, but at, at, at a bare minimum, who's searching and then who they expect to connect you with based on, um, you know, Jason being out, uh, you, I think you're in the UK, right? No, I'm in France, actually. But yes, You're in France. I'm, I'm oh, okay. Born in the UK. But I mean, from my personal name, I mean, I've managed to dominate it. And there are, the, there's a footballer, a hockey player. There's a podcaster who does music. Mm. Uh, I mean, there's reasonably famous Jason Barnards. They don't get a look in because I've managed to convince Google that I'm the leading Jason Barnard in the world. But that's on personal names. And that's one very interesting question. Uh, and it, the ambiguity makes it excessively complicated complicated and each case is very different but if you take brands they tend to be unique at least within their geolocation yeah. and certainly within their industry and their geolocation far more unique than the individual people uh, exactly yeah um yeah and so the management of a brand SERP and the management of a personal brand SERP are two quite different Correct. things um and and from a brand perspective you you said we want it to be accurate. Yes, 100% has to be accurate, has to be positive, and it has to be convincing. 
And that convincing is the interesting one, is that you need video boxes, you need Twitter boxes, you need the knowledge panel, because if you just see 10 blue links for a brand, you don't think they're very convincing. It's not very professional. It looks poor, if I may use the strange accent that I just used, and I don't know where that comes from. It looks poor. Um, so you need to make it convincing too. So you need that accurate, positive, and convincing. And the way Google decides what it's going to put there is, is this content pertinent for the audience searching this brand name who presumably already knows the brand? And is it valuable to them? And it's up to us to make sure that Google sees the content we see as valuable as valuable. And that's where the key comes in. And that's where you dominate. And I would say control your brand SERP. That result when somebody searches your brand name is your business card and you can control it. And it isn't very complicated. So you, you touched upon this already a little bit, uh, but so somebody goes, they search for the, the brand, the brand name, your brand name. What is an optimal- Let's say Kelly Cube, because it gives me some promotion there, but a brand Sure, name. sure. So, and, and, and so what is an optimal cert, branded cert page look like to you? Genius question. I love that because it allows me to then expand on the idea. Obviously, number one, your homepage is number one. Underneath that, you have rich site links because the rich site links are those blue links with the description that all come from the same site. So that gives you more control because it takes up a couple of places, kills a blue link off the bottom of the page, reduces the amount of control, the, the number of results you need to control. Um, so that's the top of the SERP, it has to be like that. If it's not like that, you're losing the game. On the right, you need a knowledge panel because that knowledge panel indicates that Google has understood who you are, what you do and who your audience is. Underneath on the left hand, going back to the left hand side, uh, you definitely need your social accounts, things you control. We come back to that word again, control. You would ideally have a Twitter account that, because Twitter feeds directly into Google, it has a fire hose into Google. You can have those Twitter boxes simply by having an engaging quality Twitter feed. If you're working on Twitter and you don't have the Twitter boxes on your brand SERP, it means your Twitter activity is not hitting the target audience that you should be hitting. Your Twitter strategy is rubbish. So it's a great insight into your content strategy too. Underneath that, you should expect to see video boxes, image boxes, uh, hotel finders, flight finders, maps, Google business, Google my business, Google map packs. Sorry, excuse me, I'm getting a bit confused. But it very much depends on your industry. It will vary enormously by industry. And I mean, on CaliCube, uh, which is my company, I've actually got a project where I collect brand SERPs and I've got 10 million in a database. So I can actually just sort through it and figure this out. I, and one of the things I've done is categorize all the brands, 70,000 brands, categorized so that I can tell you in, for example, the property industry, real estate, videos will tend to be popular. Uh, in news, and this is an interesting one, videos will obviously be popular, but YouTube doesn't dominate. In all the other industries, YouTube would dominate because YouTube is not news. YouTube is uh, evergreen stuff. It, 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 something like CNN or the BBC would tend to be more appropriate for that. So 
it depends on the industry, A, what elements you would expect to see appear on a brand SERP, and B, what the sources of that information are going to be. Very similar to like, um, when we started working on this, uh, we ended up seeing uh, many more reviews. So we have, right. you know, our G2 review. So for an agency, right, we've got now somebody goes and searches for Secret Sushi and you get the search results, or you get the website, you get the the the, uh, the profiles and that, but then you get mostly at the top of that list, G2, uh, 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 G2 Clutch, you know, Agency Spotter, all of these places where there are, are reviews. And in that particular case as well, um, you get stars that show up that show what your rating is and stuff, which are really great to show in a search result, especially when it comes to for exactly the reason you were talking. It shows what your brand reputation is. It 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 it, it is your business card, very much so in that sense. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And and the thing is, yes, they are great unless they're bad reviews. And if they're bad reviews and Google's showing bad reviews, but you have good reviews, you need to ask yourself why does Google think that is representative. And then you have to do some soul searching, which is the hard part. Um, and the other thing I would say is, yes, get reviews up there because they have those stars. You need to A, make sure that you're certain or as certain as you can be that those star, that star rating will be maintained and will not drop. But they are great to have. Uh, but there is a lack of control. So be very careful about filling your brand cert with these because you don't control them. Whereas your social accounts, you do control, you have a, a higher level of control. So uh, a, a great brand SERP, and that was the initial question you asked, is a balanced brand SERP. It, some social accounts, some content that you're creating and curating, some third-party sites to reassure people that it's not just you talking to them. Uh, a nice knowledge panel, review sites, be careful of Glassdoor, and other uh, employee review sites because they can flip on you very, very quickly. Um, and they're very difficult to manage because if you can ask a client for a review about your product or your service, relatively simple. Asking an employee or an ex-employee for a review about you as an employee, uh, employer, sorry, is very, very, very delicate. Um, so I would, if anybody has Glassdoor ranking on their brand set, I would advise you to get rid of it not because I don't think it's a good source of information, but because it's very difficult to manage because it's such a delicate relationship that you're going to have with the people who are going to be reviewing you. And when you say get rid of it, what you really are primarily mean, you don't mean get rid of glass door. What, you, what no. you're talking about is, and I want to talk about this here, right? So now somebody finds that they, they go do, they go do a search and check it out. They're listening to this podcast and they go take a look and they find that in the top 10, it's not that they don't have a good, well-rounded, rich presence as you were describing, but they have a lot of negative stuff there instead or things that they didn't expect to see. So uh, how to, and, and that's essentially with Glassdoor, what you're talking about is at a bare minimum, trying to do some uh, some best practices and other things in order to bury those results with other stuff. Or what, what, how would you how would you describe somebody should tackle when they run into a scenario like, hey, there's there is Glassdoor and I want to follow Jason's recommendation, or there is some bad news that has popped up and has dominated that first uh, page. Or I'll add another one, which is your competition, and this happens a lot. Um, uh, and and it's obvious that if your competition keeps appearing, I mean, don't forget that it's your existing clients who Google your brand name 
to navigate to your site. So they're seeing your brand search potentially multiple times per day. You don't want them seeing that bad review, that competitor, or that bad article, or that inaccurate information, because over time it will it will print itself in their minds and they will end up jumping ship. Yep. Um, so that's an incredibly important part of all this. And it, this is the point at which most people come and see me. I say to them, you should have done this before. You should be managing this proactively. You should be making sure that that first page is controlled by you, potentially if you can the second page, because that stuff will never come up if you're controlling pages one and two. If you're demonstrating to Google the content you think is re representative, is actually truly representative and Google believes you. But if you have that kind of problem, and I actually sell uh, brand SERP courses, which is how to manage your brand SERP yourself. Um, and this is the one I sell the most of. It's the one that people jump on board because they have this problem. Because if you go on an agency, they will say that's $10,000 for three months work. And I have no guarantee that we will be able to do anything about it. Uh, which is an appalling, appalling situation to find yourself in because you're faced with an agency who don't actually have to do anything because they don't have to deliver anything. I'm not saying that's what they do. I'm saying that it's one of the problems that you need to face. And a lot of these agencies will say, we will drown it. And that's the one word you should run away from as fast as you possibly can. You said bury it. I like that much better. Um, the thing about drowning is you're saying, what they're saying is we will create new content that will outrank the existing content that Google sees as relevant and useful and valuable to your audience. If you think about that for more than one second, you will realize that a new piece of content proving its value and its relevancy to your existing audience against something that already has proved its value and its relevancy is going to be very difficult. And the probability, the likelihood that will outrank the existing piece of content is very low, unless you're talking about CNN, New York Times, BBC, big, 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 big media who are really going to nail it. Because Google's aim here is not to rank the one with the most links, inbound links, the one with the biggest domain authority or the, the best word count ratio. It's aiming to, what, to rank the ones that are the most relevant and valuable which means that any new piece of content really, really is going to suffer from an enormous disadvantage that content aiming to rank for generic keywords would not suffer from. So I talk about leapfrogging. And that simply means looking further down the, the SERP, seeing things that Google already sees as mm. 20th most valuable, picking that up. And you can do SEO on other people's content, push it up, and, and leapfrog this negative content and push it down. And I will uh, push my course a little bit more because there's another set of techniques which are actually very, very, very valuable because they, they hit wider. The problem with drowning is that it doesn't hit the root of the problem. It doesn't help your overall strategy. It's simply, it's firefighting. But if you say, if I can trigger video boxes or Twitter boxes or rich site links underneath my homepage, what happens? You said 10 blue links earlier on. The average number of blue links on a brand SERP is not 10. It's eight and a half. Because you have a video box or a Twitter box, it will kill a blue link. So you can both leapfrog 
and work on your content strategy to push these videos up, which will take two places and kill a blue link. Not that's often time. an under that's often an undervalued technique in a lot of ways of yeah. if you were to just do better for having great site links and um, uh, and to your point, uh, having content that that fills up those other areas that with a with a what I might call a shallow results page would not be present because then it would just go back to that default like 10 blue links, for instance, um, then then um, like you said, it turns it even with ads, for instance, even with Google ads, just by using uh, extensions on ads, you have an opportunity to 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 be to uh, take over more of the the, the, yeah. the space and push your, your competition down and that sort of thing. So I, I like I like that approach that follows suit with what we do with ads. I, I, I like what you just said about ads. I mean, I have another course, which is called the fundamentals. And one of those is how to manage your Google ads campaign for your branded terms. Um, and interestingly enough, brands, you will tend to get nine or 10 out of 10 in your quality score. Um, and what people fail to realize is even when you've got 10 out of 10, there's still room for improvement. 10 out of 10 isn't the ceiling. There is no ceiling. You can keep improving, keep improving, keep improving, and keep pushing the CPC down. So you can actually, A, dominate very cheaply if you can manage to prove to Google in this case, the Google Ads algorithm, that your content, that you are, um, sorry, relevant, which is the, you've got the quality score yep, um, yep. components, uh, click-through rate, relevancy, and landing page experience. I mean, you, you should win on all of them, but you can improve all of them beyond uh, your initial 10 out of 10 because you happen to be the brand. If, 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 if all you pay attention to is the quality score alone, that's one thing, but knowing that, like you're, like you're saying, knowing that, um, the, of course, Google would love to take more money off of a cost yeah. per click from you, but you do have an opportunity there to benefit by having that cost per click go down more by taking that action right. you're talking about. Yeah, sorry, I was going off and trying telling everyone how to save money, and you were you were actually talking about the fundamental thing is is saying actually if I have uh, a Google ad with the uh, extensions and then my homepage with the site links on desktop, I've already covered the entire above the fold, especially if I've got the, um, the knowledge panel on the right hand side. So uh, I think that is a very good technique that you suggest, which is very easy, very quick, is to add those Google ads, add the great extensions, and you will push the content down, not off the SERP, but certainly out of sight for the uh, casual visitor who would be your existing clients who are just navigating to your site. How, so, um, let me, let me ask you, Jason. So on the site links element before they, and I think other folks may be running into this sort of thing where, um, Google is grabbing what yeah. it grabs, right? So, um, previously we could demote a lot of those site links that we didn't want to have appear things that seem to be really incorrect. Uh, we, we call it incorrect, but maybe we're not sending the right signals to Google to find the yeah. correct elements, but we're taking, we, we see tertiary pages or secondary pages that are not very important holding up the four or possibly even six site links that are showing up in our, in our organic search engine result. Um, is there some, is there, is there a recommendation you have for how, 
uh, listeners may be able to better control what shows up there now, considering the, as far as I know, the demotion element has been removed from Search Console, which makes it harder to have even the minimal control that they previously allowed. Yeah, right. Um, well, there are a couple of things there. Number one is that the average number of site links, once you get the rich site links, the average number is five and a half. Um, and the other surprising figure is 50% of brands do not have rich site links, which means that Google doesn't see the value for the audience of that brand to be able to navigate directly to a specific area of the site, which means that the site is very badly organized. So 50% of brand sites are badly organized. Statement number one. Statement number two is, why did they remove that possibility? It's because people were abusing it and getting it wrong. I mean, I'm not defending Google and saying they're perfect. They're not perfect. But the idea of the um, brand SERP is to show to the users that Google understands the most valuable results possible. So if Google sees that people are clicking through to your blog, it will tend to show your blog as a rich site link. If it sees they're tending to click through to the login page, it will tend to show that. Now, if your site's badly organized, it can't even find it, can't identify it with confidence. And it's, it's not a question of Google doesn't know, it does. It just doesn't have the confidence to say, yes, I'm 100% sure this is right, and I'm not going to disappoint my user. So you have to think about both understanding and confidence. Um, and the, the second point there is, uh, I was talking to Nathan Chalmers from Bing, um, and obviously it's not Google, but um, the whole page algorithm, he's the guy who runs the, the whole page algorithm, which I didn't know existed. And this is an incredible insight, is that when you ask John Mueller, does Google use click-through rate as a ranking signal? He can say no, because they don't within the, the, the blue links. But when you talk to Nathan Chalmers from Bing, who runs the whole page algorithm, and Google almost certainly have exactly the same system going on, he uses click-through rate and user behavior pretty much exclusively. So he, but he doesn't deal with ranking. He deals with demoting things that are not going to help the user. And he does that using user behavior. So you end up with this situation, if you look at the set rich signings, you can say, well, actually the rich signings are not part of the blue link algorithm. They're part of the whole page algorithm. So user behavior is possibly, arguably, the single most important signal there. And that all comes down to the whole page algorithm rather than the fundamental founding blue link algorithm. Uh, so I would suggest you, A, organize your site clearly, make sure Google understands the structure of your site and make sure that, the, uh, that your users can usefully use the pages that you wish to show in the rich site link. So we're gonna be looking at, and I've actually got figures for this, um, login pages, blog pages, um, category pages, about us pages. The, the single most dominant rich site link is about us. Contact us is second, blogs are about fourth or fifth in the list. It's, so very, to... it's very akin to honestly what ends up happening a lot of the times when folks end up, like most of our clients, the about us page tends to be very well trafficked. Mm -hmm. And so it's very reflective of what users normally do, it sounds like, from the site link data you're talking about. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it comes in down. It's a really interesting kind of um, bringing together of uh, what users are actually interested in is who you are. Can I trust you? Um, and EAT, which is expertise, authority, and trust, which Google is pushing towards. Now, obviously, they don't measure it explicitly. They don't have an algorithm to say this is what expertise is, this is what authority is, and this is what trust is. But they have machine learning where they're saying this is what we consider to be a trustworthy result. Please, machine, figure out how to rank these all these billions and billions and billions of web pages with expertise, authority, and trust as part of your goal in that the first result cannot be non-expert, non-authoritative, and non-trustworthy. So uh, the About Us page becomes phenomenally important to every single SEO strategy. And one interesting thing about brand SERPs and a reflection of how you're doing is if Google doesn't show it, it means Google hasn't found it or Google doesn't trust it. Well, that's awesome regarding the site links. Um, that That's definitely something I think most folks don't pay much of attention to. Our clients have over the years have gone, why is that particular page there? But they've 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 not really understood why does it show up? How does it show up? I think a lot, a lot of folks don't really, you know, SEO in general, I've had at least two clients who have said to me, SEO is just black magic. And it's definitely... Uh, it's definitely not black magic, um, but there is a, a lot of um, what I might call, I don't know if it's nebulousness about it in, in, uh, for, for folks that are not um, paying attention to the data. And, and, sure. and speaking of, of data, you, know, you mentioned already CaliCube, and I'm interested just to know, um, that's your research project. Uh, can yeah. you just give us a real quick idea of like, how did it start? What made you even get interested in this, considering that you've, you started back in 2015? Right. Well, in fact, I started SEO in 1998. Um, I launched my first website and it became one of the 10,000th 10, biggest site in the world in terms of pure traffic. And it was a site for kids. Uh, we were having 60 million visits a year. That's 5 million a month, 100 million page views a month. It was phenomenal. And that's where I uh, cut my teeth, if we can say that, in terms of actually ranking for Google, because one of the reasons we, we ranked number one for Google across the board for kids' games, kids' songs, kids' entertainment, uh, competing with PBS, Disney, and, and sites like that, uh, which was phenomenal for a tiny independent site. Um, and uh, I can't remember where I was going with that because the beginning question, why did I start talking about that? CaliCube. Uh, what, well, what made yes. you go to transition to CaliCube? Genius. Sorry. Excuse me. Yeah. Um, I, I, I then had to get a proper job. And that, the whole thing with CaliCube was that when I optimized my own personal brand SERP, I thought this is going to take me a couple of months because I'm good at SEO. And it did. It took me a couple of months to get a reasonable brand SERP. And then I thought, what else can I do? And over the, the next couple of years, I thought I can change that, I can change that, I can change that. And I was learning to control and manipulate, if you like, my own result, the result that Google shows for me. And it struck me that it was much, much deeper, much, much more intricate, and much more, more interesting <laughs> And much more insightful than I had initially thought. I mean, I had a, I've got a, a friend, uh, Andrea Volpini, who's an Italian guy who runs a company called Wordlift to uh, uh, do semantic SEO. Uh, it's a phenomenal tool. And, and 
we, we do lots of experiments together. It's kind of this 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 mad professor experimenty thing going on between two people who met through semantic SEO and knowledge graphs and knowledge panels and who've become friends. And he he once said to me because he he did a an AI summary of my brand set. And it basically said what a machine would understand about me from my own brand set. And I looked at it and I said, that's not right. There's some things I don't want to be there. It was overemphasizing the music career and the cartoon career. And so that was a Saturday. And then I spent Saturday and Sunday updating all the sites that I controlled. And then I said to him on Tuesday, can you rerun the program? And the program rerun on the Tuesday. And the Tuesday, it said exactly what I wanted. And he said, Jason Barnard Googles his CMS. Google is Jason Barnard's CMS. And I thought, I mean, it's exaggerating, obviously. Sure, sure. But, but with a brand SERP, at least, you can get not very far away from total control. And so over the years, I mean, it's been since uh, seven years now, 2015, I really started to focus on this. I realized how much control you can have and how much difference it makes. And I mean, it, I will challenge anybody now to guess how many searches there are on their brand name without looking. Then go to Search Console, isolate your homepage, isolate your exact match brand name, and check how much of your traffic is coming from branded search. And it can be anything from 5% to 90%. I mean, it really, truly, it, it's that vast. Yep. But the one thing that brings all of these brands together is that every single person searching their exact match brand name is vital to their business. It's their clients, it's their prospects, it's journalists, it's investors, it's potential hires, it's people who want to do business with you or are already doing business with you. So uh, CaliCube grew out of that is that I kind of thought this is phenomenally important. It is phenomenally insightful. How can I figure out how it works? And the only way to figure out how this stuff works is not to focus on my personal experience, which is one example, and it's very specific. It's to say, let's pick 70,000 brands and people, track them all, accumulate the data, aggregate the data, sorry, is the correct word. And then I can find statistics, for example, video boxes, 80% YouTube. 80% YouTube, that means there's 20% Facebook, Twitter, CNN, Bloomberg, whatever it might be, 11% of brand SERPs have Twitter boxes. Why don't the other 89% have? They all, all probably have Twitter accounts. 40% um, have uh, knowledge panels. Why don't the other 60% have knowledge panels, which indicate that Google has understood who you are, what you do, and who your audience is? So that, that data is phenomenally, phenomenally interesting. And, Recently, sorry, I, I just just to finish this particular point, talking about knowledge panels is in knowledge panels they cite Google will cite uh, a, a, a domain a site. They will cite a site. I was trying to avoid saying that, but I gave up in the end. And they <laughs> a year and a half ago it would only be Wikipedia or nothing. Then in uh, July August of two thousand and nineteen, what I call the Budapest update, which I wrote about in Search Engine Journal they brought in other domains and you got 220 other domains that I found where they would cite them instead of Wikipedia. Now, recently, last month, literally, Google, Wikipedia now occupies only 50% of knowledge panels. 
And the other, or in fact, it's 50% Wikipedia, 30% no citation, 20% others. Those others are the trusted sources for Google's knowledge graph. That's an incredible insight. So that's where CaliCube's coming from. That's where CaliCube is going to. What I love about this, and I think it, it should be emphasized for people who are listening, is um, search feels like black magic to a lot of people because it is a place where businesses make money, right? And what I mean yeah. by that is it's a place where Google, the search engine's making money and Bing is making money. And there, there's a lot writing on, on what level of transparency that those search engines have with us. Um, in regards to continuing to make sure that the results are trustworthy and and uh, and, and accurate, um, because early on, people would game the system. Quite honestly, they'd find, oh, we'd just put meta tags yeah. in it, and we'd put this stuff and hide it inside white text on top of the white background to stuff our. our, our there were all kinds of things that they were doing, and and that, that's a lot harder to do in a lot of cases these days. But yeah. just generally speaking, um, Google doesn't share everything in plain english to everybody about ex about exactly how to, uh, to 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 rank there's some universal truths definitely about you know making the right content that's you know properly structured and uh and and relevant to your you know the your audience and and uh, sort of the way we look at it a lot of times is we we definitely want to take into account that this is a machine that we're talking about that is doing yeah. the indexing and so on. But for the most part, for future proofing your content and even making it rank well now, you want to continue to make to think of the the human being on the other end when you're creating that content. But but what you've done with CaliCube is similar to um, it's an important element because um, beyond whatever minor. Uh, information we get from these from from something like Google it is folks like yourself we I interviewed Rand Fishkin not long ago as well and we talked about many times where uh what was being told even even to him as somebody who was really highly paying attention acutely aware mm. of what was going on in the industry what was being told was not exactly what the data showed and that when you end up doing the tests and you get the data and you start paying attention to what is really happening versus the nebulous information that you might be receiving if you get an answer at all about what actually is going on for, in this case, you know, branded search results uh, pages, um, the yeah. data tells a lot more in it tells a lot more truths than we're all able to get elsewhere. And so I think it's important to listen, like we're, we're having this conversation. Mm -hmm. I, I'm really thankful for being able to talk with you uh, about this and get some insights based on, you know, data that you've actually uh, been, been, been tracking and yeah. paying attention to over, over the years. Um, because I think that's where those, uh, those folks, those marketers out there who are commonly either working with an agency um, or at a bare minimum trying to like do some of their own little Google research themselves mm -hmm. on how to do some best practices for SEO are most commonly going to, to find uh, things that still don't go that one additional level deep to be able to give them some better control in regards to their search engine results. Again, in this particular instance, yeah. Their, their their branded search results. So I think it's important what you're what you're doing. Um, I want to ask you the most important question here as we wrap. Before, go, go, before go that last question, sorry, yeah. I just wanted to interrupt because because what you're saying that was a, a, a an amazing chunk 
of, of, of talk that makes so much sense. I mean, I talked to John Mueller from Google and Gary Lewis from Google and uh, Frederick Debu from Bing and Nathan Chalmers from Bing and none of them, not one of them, when I said to them, brand serps, can you tell me about that? They go, we don't know anything about it. <laughs> they haven't thought about it, not explicitly. And so kind of I'm looking at something and I'm saying, you know, you're all missing the boat. I mean, Nathan Chalmers gave actually a pretty good answer because he's got a good grip of it. He's the whole page algorithm. But all of these people don't deal with that overall situation. And the brand surf is a very particular and specific situation that actually gives us more insights into Google and Bing than I think they are willing to give. And I think also that they've even thought about, I think they've left a hole where we can actually look in. Uh, and I've got a really good example of that, just to finish this and then you can sure, ask that last question, sure. is I had a look at startpage.com. Startpage.com is the raw blue link results from Google. And I looked at Microsoft, I mean, obviously brand SERPs, I'm obsessed by that, so that's all I'm ever gonna look at. And of the top 10 results in Startpage, which is the raw algorithm for the blue links, which is what everything else is based on, before you bring in those rich elements. If you look up Darwinism in search, you'll, you'll, you can read about the theory uh, that Gary Illis explained to me that I wrote about in Search Engine Journal and the whole page algorithm that Nathan Chalmers talks about that adds on to the top of that, which means that basically the blue link algorithm that we're all obsessed by actually has very little relevance in many cases. And in the case of Microsoft, those top 10 results, seven from Microsoft.com, three from Microsoft-owned sites, two ads at the top. When you then look at that on Google, only one of the blue links actually survives, and it's the homepage. There are no ads, homepage, rich site links, news, videos, Twitter, uh, a, couple of, a, a couple of blue links that they brought up from page two of those initial results, and the knowledge panel. So the whole page algorithm and the uh, other candidate sets, the videos, the Twitter boxes, the news, have completely changed that blue link algorithm to the point to which the blue, link, blue rank, the blue link algorithm, excuse me, no longer counts. And I don't think anybody's really looked into that and really thought it through and said, actually, I mean, and this is an extreme case, obviously. The blue link algorithm, although it's the basis of everything else that goes on, in certain circumstances today is completely redundant or almost completely redundant. And it's going to become increasingly redundant as we move forward, especially when you look at the push idea of Discover and other Google features that we're getting now. Uh, that, blue link, that blue link algorithm is something we're going to have to let go of. I don't think anybody who's listening to this is going to look at their branded search results the same way again. Um, so I think that's awesome. I, I, I want to ask you the most important final question here. Just this is I don't want to put you on the spot or anything, you know, but but uh, I think you can take the heat. So you've said it earlier today and you say it on your website. You reference this blue dog. When I saw it, I'm thinking of Blue's Clues or something like that. But that's not what you're talking about, I don't think. What is this blue dog that you were, were referring to? And you and I initially thought it had to do with music. And then you mentioned earlier something about a cartoon. So now I got to know. 
Right, okay, yeah, oh, that, that's the, I, I was slightly worried, that's the easiest question in the world. Um, <laughs> I used to be a musician, I was a punk folk musician, I played double bass in a group, if you've heard of the Pogues, we weren't the Pogues, but we supported them, we were in the same um, sphere as the Pogues uh, in the 90s. We, we were convinced we were going to be rock stars and we were going to fill up stadiums like you two. Uh, we never did, obviously. Um, and that's the story of most people who join rock bands. And then I thought, OK, uh, I'm going to make children's music. So I wrote some children's songs. Uh, I couldn't get it signed to a record label. So my wife and I invented two characters, a blue dog and a yellow koala. I was the blue dog. She was the yellow koala. Um, and we launched a website using uh, Macromedia Flash when it was yep. version three. 1998 before there was any coding or anything. I, I was uh, designing stuff on that. Yep. Great. I learned that and made cartoons for kids using Flash oh, uh, awesome. from 98 to 2008. Uh, and that was the site that became 5 million visits a month, 60 million a year, 100 million page views uh, a month, which adds up to over a billion a year, which is a nuts number for a site that's aimed at kids under 10 years old. Yeah. Um, and actually, my principal role was playing a cartoon, Blue Dog, helping to educate preschool children. Uh, and I absolutely loved it. I love the fact that although you talked earlier about wanting to emphasize the digital marketer in you, um, that you also <laughs> keep around all these great elements of of who you are you talked about the music and you talk about being a digital nomad and and uh and and the blue dog and i i think it's 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 wonderful and um this was my first time really getting to talk with you jason and and yeah. i think i love that you 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 helped me sound like a much better host than i than i've been so i appreciate that usually my job oh, no, is no. to help you sound really good on here and you did a great job of making me sound much better than uh, than usual so i appreciate no, that. no i honestly i mean this is this is one of my favorite conversations over the last uh, months i mean you are actually very good you ask the right questions and you're obviously incredibly smart i love the conclusions you keep bringing and that's the the art of what you're doing um, and, and I think that we should all embrace what we did before. Um, I don't think any, any of us were born digital marketers. Um, we, can't, we all come from somewhere else at some point, or most of us. Um, and embracing that is important because I, I, I remember in the days back in Flash 3, meeting all the people. I went to Yukon 99, which was Macromedia's prize giving and my flash games were competing with disney and prince of egypt at the time mm. uh, and i met uh, anderson the guy who started uh, netscape uh andreessen yeah thank you you're, you're much better than i he was a, a rock star at the time he was a musician and a wow. lot of the people in this industry come from music if you talk to marty weintraub he's a musician as well a lot of people come from other industries and i think that creates this amazing uh, potpourri of, of, of people who have different approaches and that's what makes it rich and that's what makes I think this industry so phenomenally important and interesting is that uh, important and interesting maybe I've overstated it interesting and I love it so much <laughs> because the people I meet 
are so interesting and the approaches are also very different and people share so much that we end up with this this kind of situation where I'm learning every day, you're learning every day. And I think we're learning in order to help our clients and our businesses, um, which is so I'm becoming a bit emotional and hippie. Well, and to your it. point about the music and the learning and all that sort of stuff, um, Mark Cantor, who I interviewed uh, not long mm. ago, he was the one who started Macromedia. And, really? uh, and so that we have an episode where he's sharing with me sort of how that started and, you know, essentially kind of that early history of digital multimedia. And he, he, he started by doing early, early digital music. It was digital music he was doing, sort of experimenting right. and doing all this digital music. And in the end, Macromedia came about from wanting to create digital creativity tools and publishing tools. Wonderful. Um, and so it's it's interesting to hear that sort of extended it out through your experience in doing things. And and I myself, that's how I ended up getting into this was it was the early start of digital creativity in publishing tools um, that have changed dramatically, right? Macromedia isn't around any longer. And no. uh, back in the day between, uh, if you think of any sort of rival companies, Microsoft and, uh, and Apple, in this case, it was Macromedia and Adobe who were sort of the two big wigs that had yeah. um, very similar products in those areas until uh, Adobe ultimately uh, absorbed them. So it's interesting to hear how that opens the doors for continuing our exploration on the digital side while parallel in parallel, you did a lot of, um, you know, between music and being a blue dog and married mm -hmm. to a, a yellow koala um, <laughs> that, that, that you, uh, you explored your creativity on that front. Um, Jason, with that, I want to, I want to just make sure that you can share with folks um, how, where they can learn more about you and connect with you. Yeah, thank you. I, I, that was a really lovely uh, conclusion, much better than mine. I, I got a bit lost on my on my route towards uh, hippiedom. Um, I'm Jason Barnard. Search my name on Google and you will immediately find who I am, what I do and who my audience is. Uh, look on first result will be jasonbarnard.com. Slightly lower down, you'll see uh, CaliCube Got Pro with my podcast, as you mentioned earlier on. Um, so connect with me on those. Um, and more and more, I'm pushing up the idea of brand SERPs, um, the search engine results page for what, uh, what appears when somebody searches your brand name, it's your business card. And it's an insight into your content strategy and a window into your digital ecosystem that I think is phenomenally important. And right now is probably underestimated, but will soon be the talk of the town. I, I I hear you on that loud and clear. And again, uh, very much appreciate you joining me. Yeah, that was absolutely wonderful, Adam. Thank you very much. Wow, what an episode. Like totally worth the price of admission, huh? What am I talking about? It, it was free. Okay. So look, this is how you can get my back on this now that you're at the end of the episode and everything. And I, you know, I know you wanna you wanna pay me back for all the great information that we shared. Go to wherever it is that you normally find podcasts, look for this show, Marketing in the Raw, that's the name, and then click the subscribe button. That would be incredible, we'll be square, everything will be good. If you want me indebted to you, then leave us a review or a rating wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. It helps a lot of other folks find us, folks that are interested in these topics, and you know, you wouldn't want to be greedy, would you? Uh, last but not least, if you'd like to connect in any way, you can feel free to email me. I'm Adam Helway. You can email me at adam at secretsushi.com 
or you can go and check out what it is that we're doing at the agency at secretsushi.com. All right, take care. <laughs>